Hello, welcome back to the excellent podcast of legends. We're talking about book 11, chapter 20. Did Tolstoy do the right thing by laying a lot of focus on how Moscow is abandoned, or do you think one line would have been enough? Was the beehive a good metaphor for Moscow, or do you know another one which would be better? Did you enjoy reading all the similarities between the beehive beehive and Moscow, or were some of the similarities far-fetched? And all by all, did you enjoy this chapter, or were you glad when it was over? Controversial one. This was a lot of people's favorite chapter, I remember, when, when I read the book a few years back. Um, and I didn't like it. I still don't love it. I think I liked it more this time, though, than last time. Last time I was really, like, maybe I was just doing it to, you know, to get a rise out of people, but I was really laying it on thick about how much you'd overdone the the metaphor, the um, analogy. But still, I do think it does break my rules of using analogies in writing. Um, I don't think you should use an, an analogy where the kind of metaphor is more obscure than the thing you're describing. You know what I mean? Like the whole point of a metaphor or an analogy is to um, compare a complex thing to describe with something more familiar so that you can draw the comparisons, right? But if you're using an even more obscure thing, to describe it, then it's not getting any clearer. So here, Tolstoy is describing a, a city which is being abandoned, a human city of people being abandoned. And to do, if you described that, I don't think I'd have any trouble following it, if you were to describe that. Um, but to try to simplify the description, he's comparing it to a beehive, as if we're all familiar with beehives, and we go, oh, okay, now I know what it's like. But a beehive is far less familiar. The other thing is, I just feel... It's one of those ones where it feels like the author recently learned a lot about beehives and kind of just wants to um, show off this knowledge that they have. I really feel like about halfway through the chapter, Tolstoy actually forgot what he was meant to be describing and he's just describing a beehive at this point. You know what I mean? Um... So, yeah, anyway, that, that was how I felt. It, uh, at that point, it seems more like he's writing it for him than for the reader. You know, showing off what he knows about beehives. And that's another one of my rules is like, you don't write so that you don't write for yourself, right? You write for the reader. Ripster66 says, I think a chapter dedicated to the abandonment of Moscow makes sense, considering the scope of this book. The beehive analogy was fine at first, but then it felt a bit cumbersome, and eventually it fell apart for me and I didn't care for it. To me, it made it seem as though the worker bees, peasants and lower class were sick without the aristocracy to tell them how to function. Without their queen, the whole colony fails. It just seems very one-sided and not particularly realistic. I would have liked it better if he actually described the empty streets and what was really going on with the people left behind. Looting, hiding, living it up in other people's estates, desperately trying to leave. The last sentence was perfection, though, and made me want to leave on, let, read on. The last sentence saying the coup de had not come off. 
Pythagorean being said, yeah, that analogy went on a little too long, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure if a queen bee dies, the hive just produces a new queen from lava and royal jelly. I'm not a beekeeper or anything, so I could be wrong. Well, you might be right, you might be wrong. That's the thing, we're not that familiar with bee life. <laughs> and I completely agree with Ripster66. Just describe the thing that's actually happening. Um... Like, no one, when, if they used to say, you know, people were leaving their houses, we wouldn't be going, houses? What's, what do you mean houses? Oh, well, you know how in a beehive, a bee has a little um, section that it lives in with its colony workers, and, oh, yeah, oh, right, the human equivalent of that, of course, yeah, no, now I get it. Um, just describe the thing. Twisted Every Way says this, I agree that the beekeeper analogy went on, long to, went on too long. That was a lot of words to describe an abandoned city. I'm ready to see what Napoleon is going to do. Hey, it looks like the, um, the attitude towards this chapter is very different with this cohort, with this year's cohort. Interesting. We're all on the same page. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says... As someone with pretty severe apiphophobia, I hated every line of the beehive analogy. I didn't understand most of it because I don't have any idea how a beehive is supposed to look in size and I, inside, and I skipped over half of it in revulsion. Wow, okay, you liked it even less than, than me. Wap Wap Away says, The metaphor definitely did go on for longer than needed, but I didn't mind because it turns out beehives are apparently very interesting. I kept reading not because I cared about Moscow, but because I was curious about the subject of beehives. And I also like the apocalyptic, apocalyptic description of an abandoned one. Uh, Rye Bread Egg says, The analogy reminded me of listening to my friends go on about something after too many drinks. Really felt like in this chapter Tolstoy couldn't land the plane. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Foxbat says, I like that the book was written in a time when it would be normal for people to know a lot about beekeeping. Uh, true, uh, true, that is true. We are insulated from natural truths by logistics and supply chains now, although it's not like a modern analogy about fast-moving consumer goods would be widely understood. Do you think more people knew about beehives back then than they do now? I don't know, because, like, I feel like people who need to know about beehives would have but now you know we can you know we've all seen beehives on tv and we've all seen footage of someone getting honey out of a beehive or smoking it with the smoke thing and stuff um so maybe maybe we just in general know more about beehives anyway hey guess what i don't really care about beehives let's keep reading this book which is apparently about russia and napoleon um, what are we up to here? Book 11, Chapter 21. The Russian troops were passing through Moscow from 2 o'clock at night till 2 in the afternoon and bore away with them the wounded and the last of the inhabitants who were leaving. The greatest crush during the movement of the troops took place at the Stone, Moskva and Yovza bridges, while the troops, dividing into two parts when passing around the Kremlin, were thronging the Moskva and the Stone bridges, a great many soldiers taking advantage of the stoppage and congestion, turned back from the bridges and slipped stealthily and silently past the church of Vasily, the beautified, and under the Borovitsky gate, 
back up the hill to the Red Square where some instinct told them that they could easily take things not belonging to them. Crowds of the kind seen at cheap sales filled all the passages and alleys of the bazaar, but there were no dealers with voices of ingratiating affability inviting customers to enter. There were no hawkers, nor the usual motley crowd of female purchasers, but only soldiers in uniforms and overcoats, though without muskets, entering the bazaar empty-handed and silently making their way out through its passages with bundles. Tradesmen and their assistants, of whom there were but few, moved about among the soldiers quite bewildered. They unlocked their shops and locked them up again, and themselves carried goods away with the help of their assistants. On the square in front of the bazaar were drummers beating the muster call, but the roll of the drums did not make the looting soldiers run in the direction of the drum as formerly, but made them on the contrary run farther away. Among the soldiers in the shops and passages, some men were to be seen in grey coats with closely shaven heads. Two officers, one with a scarf over his uniform and mounted on a lean dark grey horse, the other in an overcoat and on foot, stood at the corner of Ilyinka Street, talking. A third officer galloped up to them. The general orders them all to be driven out at once without fail. This is outrageous. Half the men have dispersed. Where are you off to? Where? he shouted to three infantrymen without muskets who, holding up the skirts of their overcoats, were slipping past him into the bazaar passage. Stop, you rascals. But how are you going to stop them, replied another officer. There is no getting them together. The army should push on before the rest bolt, that's all. How can one push on? They are stuck there, wedged on the bridge, and don't move. Shouldn't we put a cordon around to prevent the rest from running away? Come, go in there and drive them out, shouted the senior officer. The officer in the scarf dismounted, called up a drummer, and went with him into the arcade. Some soldiers started running away in a group. A shoekeeper, sorry, <laughs> a shopkeeper, with red pimples on his cheeks near the nose and a calm, persistent, calculating expression on his plump face, hurriedly and ostentatiously approached the officer, swinging his arms. Your honour, said he, be so good as to protect us. We won't grudge trifles. You are welcome to anything. We shall be delighted. Pray. I'll fetch a piece of cloth at once for such an honourable gentleman, or even two pieces with pleasure. For we feel how it is, but what's all this sheer robbery? If you please, could not guards be placed in on if only to let us close the shop? Several shopkeepers crowded round the officer. Eh, what twaddle, said one of them, a thin, stern-looking man. When one's head is gone, one doesn't weep for one's hair. That's what any of you like. Sorry, take... Well, I read that way wrong. Take what any of you... Take what any of you like. Take what any of you like. Hmm. And flourishing his arm energetically, he turned sideways to the officer. It's all very well for you, Ivan... Ivan... It's all very well for you, Ivan Sidorich, to talk, said the first tradesman angrily. Please step inside, Your Honour. Talk indeed, cried the thin one. In my three shops here I have a hundred thousand roubles worth of goods. Can they be saved when the army's gone? Hey, what people! Against God's might our hands can't fight. Come inside, Your Honour, repeated the tradesman, bowing. The officer stood perplexed and his face showed indecision. It's not my business, he exclaimed, and strode on quickly down 
one of the passages. From one open shop came the sound of blows and vituperation, and just as the officer came up to it, a man in a grey coat with a shaven head was flung out violently. This man bent double, rushed past the tradesman and the officer. The officer pounced on the soldiers who were in the shops, but at that moment fearful screams reached them from the huge crowd of the Moskva Bridge, and the officer ran out into the square. "'What is it? What is it?' he asked. But his comrade was already galloping off past Vasily, the beautified, in the direction from which the screams came. The officer mounted his horse and rode after him. When he reached the bridge, he saw two unlimbered guns, the infantry crossing the bridge, several overturned carts, and frightened and laughing faces among the troops. Beside the cannon, a cart was standing to which two horses were harnessed. Four borzois with collars were pressing close to the wheels. The cart was loaded high, and at the very top, beside a child's chair with its legs in the air, sat a peasant woman uttering piercing and desperate shrieks. He was told by his fellow officers that the screams of the crowd and the shrieks of the woman were due to the fact that General Ermolov, coming up to the crowd and learning that soldiers were dispersing among the shops while crowds of civilians blocked the bridge, had ordered two guns to be unlimbered and made a show of firing at the bridge. The crowd, crushing one another, upsetting carts and shouting and squeezing desperately, had cleared off the bridge, and the troops were now moving forward. Whew, alright, there we go. Chapter done. Some uh, some stuff's coming down in Moscow. Alright, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.